Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby Podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and across the Six Nations as Europe's elite go head-to-head in rugby's oldest international competition. Each week, we'll be looking at the QBE predictor, which forecasts the results of each round of matches. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe now and download wherever you get your podcasts. As always, thanks for listening. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm David Marsland, and this is The Leader. Musicians from the Royal Marines Band have been volunteering at hospitals across England to give performances for patients on COVID wards. It's just about the only way to see live music at the moment, but maybe there is another way. Open your mouth very, very wide so that you can use the mirror to locate your tonsils. Superfast COVID tests are being developed by scientists at the Porton Down Top Security Research Facility in Wiltshire. The government hopes they'll help entertainment venues reopen in the summer. Turn up at the theatre, get a test at the door. If it's negative, you're in. But there have been concerns raised about how accurate these rapid flow tests are. And just how difficult would it be to test thousands of people queuing up for a show? Our arts correspondent Robert Dex is here. Robert, you've been talking to people in the West End. How are they welcoming this? Cautiously. I spoke to James Graham this morning, the playwright who has had more West End hits than you know you, you can count. Um, and he, I think, spoke for many people. He said he was just torn between being so desperate to oh, reopen theatres and go back to work that he would welcome anything. And then the kind of the doubts on the other side of the kind of, yes, but how will this actually work? The idea, as I understand it, is that if you can prove you've had a vaccination, you can go in. Or if you pass the test, you can go in. Now, if you can prove you've had a vaccination, obviously that tends to skew the audience rather towards the older um, time frame, which will make some shows a lot more feasible, some theatres a lot more feasible. And we already have problems getting young people into theatres. It's too expensive. They don't see it as accessible. So I think a lot of people would worry about an age barrier, which is what a vaccination could be in effect until it's rolled out more fully. There are practical issues with actually doing the test. Who's going to do them? Where are they going to do them? I mean, are you going to have 2,000 people waiting outside a theatre, you know, all huddled together waiting for their test, which obviously wouldn't be great. What happens if you fail the test? Do you then just get back on the tube quite merrily, you know, thinking you may be passing it on to God knows who and go home? Yeah, I mean, people, people are desperate for a solution. And at least this shows they're thinking of a solution. And God knows that's a improvement on recent months the old things we've had but there, there are a lot of practical issues i think it's safe to say and on those practical issues rob are theaters themselves concerned that the government is maybe expecting them to handle this that the problem is being pushed onto them um, uh, it, it, it's too early to say i mean there was not a great deal of detail from the prime minister and hopefully we'll get more of that next week um if it does get pushed onto the theaters obviously some theaters will be in a better place to deal with that some theaters have more staff 
more money? What do the smaller theatres do? There has been a lot and a lot of talk of what theatres want from the government. One of the main things they want is an insurance scheme backed by the government that means they could open confident if the show doesn't go ahead for whatever reason, if we have another spike in transmission, whatever, um, they won't lose thousands and thousands of pounds. Now, I think if the government says to them, you can have that insurance back scheme, but to qualify for it, you have to carry out these tests, then you might start to see a bit of negotiation and and people might come on board. Um, I don't know if that is going to happen. That's just one one view that was put to me this morning, that it might be almost a kind of, if you if you want to open, these are the hoops you have to jump through. But we'll, we'll see. There's there's more to come on this one. But Rob, there are thousands of people going to the West End every weekend, every night when performances are on. Who's going to pay for all of these tests? Is it the customers? Is it the theatres themselves? Is it the government? Are we going to get to a situation where you buy a theatre ticket and get a free COVID test with it? Somebody will, and I think like used that idea of a, a ticket coming with a free COVID test, except it won't be free at all because you probably pay an extra three pound surcharge or whatever on top of your ticket. Um, I, I could certainly see that happening. I spoke to somebody the other week in the music industry and quite off the cuff, just he was joking. He said, I could get you two million people vaccinated tomorrow. And I was like, how'd you do that? I said, you tell them you don't get to apply for a Glastonbury ticket unless you've been vaccinated. If people cannot go unless they are negative or vaccinated, they will take the test, they will have the vaccine, they will do what it takes. Perhaps they will end up with a, you know, a messy compromise where, where the, the paying customer pays some of it, government pays some of it, theatre owners pay some of it. Um, and, and the argument is about where the lines are drawn rather than whether you have it at all. Yeah, and then we come back to that idea of just get the theatres open. How ready is the West End to do it? I know you've spoken to the producer, Kevin McCollum. He's done things like Rent and Six. He's a US producer. How does he think London's going to get on? Actually, if you want to feel better about the West End, I I would read that interview with Kevin, uh, because Broadway have it much tougher than than we do, which I know is, you know, scant consolation to people in the West End who are out of work. We we are just vaccinations, mask wearing, London is ahead of New York. We will open sooner than them for precisely that reason. Um, Our theatres, despite many of them being very old and very rickety, actually have a bit more space than Broadway theatres, which means we can do a bit more social distancing. And it it may be, of course, if testing is brought in in theatres, we need that space to actually set up somewhere to do the tests. So, um, yeah, that was was a surprisingly positive chat, actually, with Kevin. But he is, in a very... American way, uh, as you'd expect, he's extremely hopeful. He he thinks Broadway will open. It's just a question of when, um, and I think we have to assume the same with the West End. The West End will reopen, people will come back, but when um, we'll see. Interesting times ahead. I mean, hopefully, I know next week is more of a broader announcement about a way out, but people are going to start putting flesh on the bones and details because what people need to know because they need to start planning for opening shows. You know, these are not easy things to put on quickly. They need to have a date. They need to know under what sort of circumstances they'll be working. So um, the sooner we get some clarity, the better, I think. There's much more on this story at standard.co.uk, where you'll also find Robert's interview with Kevin McCollum, which is really interesting. They talk about taking six to Broadway, only for it to shut down on its opening night because of coronavirus. Let's do the ads now. While they're on, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode of The Leader. Brittany was so focused. This is a girl that's coming from strength. People became fascinated with her sort of unraveling. 
how we treated her was disgusting. The trailer for Framing Britney Spears, the documentary that became a movement and is finally available in the UK on Sky Documentaries and Now TV. Made by New York Times journalists, it examines the battle over the conservatorship that the 38-year-old's under, which gives control of her career, finances and personal life to her father and a financial company, the Bessemer Trust. Since the movie's release, the free Britney hashtag has been supported by people like Miley Cyrus, Sarah Jessica Parker and Bette Midler. Our deputy arts editor Jesse Thompson's reviewed the documentary for The Standard and joins me now. Jesse, this seems to be one of those films that's really changed people's minds. Yeah, I think this is this documentary about Britney Spears is something that people have been waiting for, but they didn't maybe realise they were waiting for it because, you know, she was this huge star. She had a very public, well, well-publicised breakdown. Um, and then um, she had a comeback. Um, she's had well-documented struggles with her mental health. But people have in recent years started talking more and more about this conservatorship that she has. But these conservatorships are for people generally. They're used for people who are quite elderly and can't make their own decisions. Um, and as we know, you know, Brittany did this Las Vegas residency. She's been a judge on, I think it was America's Got Talent. Um, she's a very high functioning woman. So it was kind of time for these questions to be looked into. And that's what the New York Times have done with this documentary. Yeah, I mean, you are a Brittany fan, as all right minded people should be, aren't you, Jesse? Mm. Does it? make it harder for you to watch the videos of when she was younger and when she was coming up? Does it make it harder to listen to her music after watching this film? Um, I think that I was really shocked when I watched the documentary and I saw footage of Britney when she was a young star because it just reminded me of, you know, she has this like huge star power. She's so charismatic and engaging. Lots of people feel a really strong personal connection with her. She's kind of you know, very relatable. She's got this girl next door quality. And I saw that footage and I was just reminded of how much we all loved her and that it was for really positive reasons. And actually in the last maybe 10 years, that's been overshadowed by the coverage of her personal life. And I think what this documentary has done is just made everybody really reassess that. I mean, there's been a lot of... Um, coverage of the fact that lots of people are now coming out and apologising to her about how they treated her. So it does feel like it's a bit of a reckoning. Yeah, Justin Timberlake was almost forced to make a statement because of the reaction to what people were perceiving his behaviour to be in this film. Does he come off badly in it? I think Justin Timberlake does come off incredibly badly. I think that it's really... It was shocking to me that there was stuff that we accepted at the time because of the tabloid nature of things. You know, someone in the documentary describes his Crimea River video where he famously had an actress who looked like Britney who was cheating on him. Um, and he basically describes it as he weaponized his music video to make it look like she'd done something bad in their breakup. Um, and then you hear him talking about whether he slept with her. Brittany says in the documentary that she didn't want to sleep with anybody before she got married. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's quite shocking to hear the way that he he spoke about her and how he almost like fed the machine. But it's not just 
Britney, is it? Because since this film's come out, we've seen this cascade of clips of women. Lindsay Lohan, for example, on David Letterman, all the behind-the-scenes claims that have been emerging about what was going on on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We've seen these female icons of the noughties, women that people really looked up to, were going through hell at the time because of, quite frankly, misogyny in the entertainment industry. Yeah, I think it's we're, we're living in this moment where we're trying to correct a lot of stuff that happened in the past that was bad. And I think I, I just feel as somebody of the generation that grew up looking at, you know, I love The Parent Trap, which Lindsay Lohan was in. I love Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I thought, you know, I wanted to be all of these women. And to know what they were going through behind the scenes is is really upsetting and it kind of casts a bit of a shadow on a lot of the culture that was so integral to us when we were growing up. And that's the leader. Join us again tomorrow and every day at 4pm.